Good morning. Hi. Uh, it was just about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, that we were in Uganda, uh, Africa, going door to door, and I, I use the word door very loosely. Um, <laughs> opening to opening, you know. There were actually there were some doors, um, but in this little remote village, and uh, we had split up into teams. And, and we were inviting them to come be a part of this church that we uh, are planting. This will be our third one now. And so uh, we get to this house. And uh, so David, uh, on the front row this morning, very spiritual. Uh, it's full. <laughs> this is under the spout where the glory comes out is what we call that. But um, the... Uh, David had his team in one place and we were in the other and we go to this, uh, we get to this one house and it's this um, kind of an older lady which is unusual uh, in a place like Uganda because you know, the, the age, they don't generally live that long and so this, this little old lady and uh, she was by herself and it was by uh, African Uganda in this village standards anyway. It was actually a nice house in that she had a concrete floor and not a dirt floor uh, and so she invited us inside and um, it was me and uh, my daughter Ashley and uh, Morgan from Alabama and then uh, some young little Holy Ghost people from the Good Samaritan Christian School, like late teens, early 20s who were training for ministry. And so uh, this lady doesn't speak a word of English. Um, and she's tiny and she, you know, in Uganda, they'll actually get on their knees to greet you when you, they welcome you in. And um, so uh, we're inviting her to church, we're telling her about Jesus and uh, and we ask her, can we pray for her? And she, uh, through the translator, says that she's been having these dizzy spells and very dizzy, and she, could we pray for her uh, to be healed? And so I start uh, praying. Um, we didn't use an interpreter for the prayer, and, and, uh, and, and one of these young, it was actually a 19-year-old girl from the Good Samaritan Christian School, a Ugandan girl, leans over and says, I think that she has an evil spirit. So I was like, well, okay, we should probably do something about that. And, and so, I mean, this is not something I just do. I don't, like, I don't normally go around doing that. And uh, so keeping in mind, she speaks no English at all. And uh, so I start uh, just saying, hey, look, um, Satan, uh, you're not welcome here. <laughs> you're here. And... Uh, just said, you know, any evil spirit that are here. And the minute I said evil spirit, she went, wow. <laughs> um, and her eyes shot straight open like, and my little daughter, Ashley, 17 years old, she's on, so she's on her knees in front of her and this lady's on her knees there and she's like this and Ashley reaches up, grabs her hand, pulls it back down. And, uh, <laughs> cause I was like, it's about to get real in here, y'all. <laughs> and she, uh, and I was so proud of her because she didn't freak out. She didn't, you know, she didn't get scared. Um, and so at one point, you know, the lady, she was kind of closing her eyes a little bit. And, and it occurred to me. So I just looked at her. Because uh, actually, she looked up at me. That's what happened. She looked at me straight in the eyes. Like her eyes just shot straight open. Everybody else was kind of quiet and their eyes were closed. And she went, eyes straight open. And so I looked in her eyes and I said, uh, I know that she can't understand me, but you do. And we are not leaving here until you do. And, uh, and we prayed some more. 
And she kind of, you know, did, you know, just like on TV, like it was wild, right? A wild ride. And we kept praying. And at one point, I said it again. She looked at me again and her eyes were kind of blue, which I don't, that's kind of a strange thing in Africa, but her eyes were kind of blue. And, uh, and I said one more time, look, we are not leaving until you leave. We can do this all day long. And she went, like her whole countenance changed, her eyes changed, everything just changed. And we prayed for her and uh, she was so thankful and she, was, she came to church that week and we, uh, we was, yeah, obviously she met Jesus that day, so that was pretty huge. Um, I share that story with you because in our environment here in America, we don't see that normally, right? But I'm bringing it to your attention because I believe 100% that the activity that we're seeing in our country right now is 100% every bit as demonic. It's just a different version of it, right? And so in our world, in a world that we're too smart for this, in a world that we don't, we don't believe in Satan, we don't believe, which he would much rather us not even believe him in at all. He can get a whole lot more done in a culture that doesn't believe in him. And I say that this morning to say that as a culture here, we have a, a responsibility to A, recognize what is demonic. James tells us, James chapter one, there's wisdom that comes from angels and there's wisdom that comes from demons. That's it. There's no middle ground wisdom. That's just it. So as I was thinking about this weekend and even the week that we've just seen unfold, the month that we've seen unfold in our country, in our own town, man, we, we need to be building ourselves up. And I want to pray right now, and I want to share with you some stuff that, I, I, that the Lord has just been dealing with me with uh, as a church building ourselves up, okay? So Jesus, we ask for your wisdom. Uh, we're not naive enough to think that if we start recognizing that there's an enemy in our world that the enemy won't, in fact, start to try to, uh, to resist that. And so, Lord, we pray right now that your spirit fills this room and where there is light, there can be no darkness. And we ask for your spirit to just literally overwhelm us, overpower us, come all over us, bubble up from inside of us. It's in Jesus' name that we can pray these things. Amen. Last week I started talking about this idea of what it means to build up the church. We were in Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, they were called to rebuild a kingdom inside of another kingdom. Uh, we don't have a lot of that stuff, but there, this actually does happen in, in the world today. And for instance, in Iraq, Kurdistan is its own kind of thing inside of a thing. You know, you know Dana, there's a people group inside of North Africa where you are that that's they're like their own thing almost. And in fact, in Kurdistan, while you're praying you know, for Grady and for Becky Pickett, be praying for the fact that they're actually about to have an election over there, a vote to say whether they want to secede from Iraq or not, and it could cause a massive civil war in the middle of what's going on with all this other stuff. And so the point being, if you go to Erbil, Iraq, you're going to see a Kurdish flag, Kurdish military, Kurdish police inside of uh, Iraq. Okay, we don't really have that here, but that's what's happening here, he is building a kingdom inside of another kingdom. That's what he called him to do. And so what we talked about last week was that Nehemiah, in building a building, 
then that the picture today for us, if we were to exegete it properly, how's that for a verb that early in the morning, huh? <laughs> exegete it, which just basically means, you know, make it make sense. Um, to, to keep it in context, to exegete it would be not that we're building a physical building here because today, 1 Peter 2.15, Ephesians 5, tells us that we are being built up, you and I, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are, 1 Peter 2.15 says, living stones, okay? So if that's the case, then building up a church, if that's what we're called to do, to build up a kingdom, to build up a church, means building up you. To put it uh, this way, that if a church is a what instead of a who, then building a church is building you. That's Dr. Seuss 101 right there. You write that down. (laughs) If a church is a what instead of a who, then building a church is building up you. And that's what we have to do. My my wife and I, um, we built a house this last year. And I use the word built very loosely because we just sat in a room and chose colors and bricks and, which parenthetically, that's a lot harder than it looks. And my wife, like she really cared. <laughs> and I wanted to, like I genuinely, so I'm like, yeah, I kind of care, I mean, you know. Um, like I'm thinking right now, I'm not 100% sure what color, I think our walls are gray. Gray, okay, see, I did it. Um, but we built it in a way where someone else built it, right? Uh, my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, is actually building a house. And by building, I mean he is on a lift with a hammer and putting stuff together and nailing it and all that stuff. He is building a house. Building it, though, you know, Darren, you'll appreciate this as a builder yourself. It's only going to be as strong as the materials that are being used to put it together, when the earthquake in Haiti happened, the problem, well, one of a thousand problems, but one of the problems was that the materials that they used were very uh, shoddy materials. They would skimp on things like when they're putting their cinder blocks together, they would water them a little bit more than they should have. They would put rebar like t- literally 12 feet apart. So when it came time to have to like to finish knocking down some of the buildings that were still there, I, I would literally, I felt like the Incredible Hulk. You just push a wall and the whole thing went over. But they built bad materials. And my point is, is that for us as living stones, that we are only the building he's putting together, he wants to build you up as materials to bring together a living temple of his Holy Spirit, not just in here on a Sunday morning, but in this nation as a whole to build a a wall around the kingdom of God built up of you and I. And what we shared last week was that when you're building up the wall, that they had different sections that they were in charge of. And I totally believe that that means that for us, we're just building sections of the wall as just different churches in this town. So what Gateway is doing up the street, they're building a section of the wall and they're building it beautifully and God is doing amazing things there. He's doing amazing things at Thompson Station Church. He's doing great things at Grace Chapel, the bridge, Church of the City, and I could go on and on and on. We're all, we're building, that's the section. So where you are today is at the conduit section of the wall. And what does it mean then, literally and practically, for us to build ourselves up so that we can be the living stones that go into the wall that build the kingdom of God on this side of heaven? And by the way, if you've been burned in your life, if you you were burned by the, the church or you've been burned in a relationship, and if you haven't been burned, by the way, it's probably because you're 12. 
It's coming. <laughs> but a lot of times we're burned and we just we, we want to step back and take a step away. But in Nehemiah chapter 4, one of the guys that was mocking them said, will they use these burned stones to rebuild this wall? And the answer was yes. If you're burned, you are exactly who God is looking for to put into the wall. Because when you've been burned, it strengthens you. And pull it. Anyway, newsflash, if you've been burned, we want you in the wall as well. Now, if you would go to the book of Jude, I probably should have told you this already so you could have found it. But the book of Jude, uh, if you just go to Revelation and turn left, but don't go too far because it's literally the right before Revelation. In Nehemiah, right before they started to build this kingdom, a kingdom inside of a kingdom, a kingdom that opposed them, a kingdom that mocked them, a kingdom that scoffed at them. Right before they built it, it says in Nehemiah chapter 2 that they before they heard this, this word from God and they strengthened themselves, strengthened their hands for the good work that was to come. So strengthening us is what we're talking about today. What does it mean to build up you and me to be the kingdom of God that he wants us to be this side of heaven? Not talking about your salvation. That's, you are safe. You are in his hands held safely. This is about the transformation that he wants to do inside of you. And the book of Jude is like a chapter. Like you don't even say chapter one because there isn't one. It's just Jude. But this little book, he is writing to a people that sounds like he's writing to us at a time in a culture that was opposed, a culture that was, that was felt like had gone mad. And so he, he writes to them in verse three, Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, like I had this plan of what I wanted to share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. To contend for the faith in a culture where he could have wanted to contend for his his heritage, he could have wanted to contend for his, his uh, politics, for his political system, for his financial system. He said, don't, well, that's all a distraction. Contend for your faith. Everything else is a red herring and a distraction. When I get trying to stand here or march that, it can be a distraction from what he told us to do, which is to contend for our faith. He goes on in verse five. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. He's encouraging them, and I encourage the people of Nashville, if you're a follower of Jesus, remember, God delivered his people before. He'll do it again. Jesus is coming back. In verse 12, he's talking about the people that are causing the trouble in this community. These people are blemishes at your love feast. They would have like, like a, what's a meet and greet? Okay. It was like their version of a meet and greet, coming together, celebrating, and fellowship together. These people are blemishes in your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. There are pastors. When you get up, if, you're, if I'm just getting up for the sound of my own voice, God forgive me. If, if I'm just getting up for the sound of saying, well, I don't know, maybe what about this? And I'm just asking questions. And what is really happening, and there are prominent pastors in the world writing books and selling millions of copies that are just saying, I'm just asking questions. And what they're doing is poking holes in the faith, and what they're really doing is feeding only themselves. This isn't new, just so you know. We don't have to panic. 
This has been going on for thousands of years. It says, they're clouds without rain. They're blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild leaves of, uh, waves of the sea, foaming up uh, their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. He's talking about what we see in our world right now. There's some darkness that's happening in our world and it feels like I don't even recognize this anymore. He's saying, it's okay, I got this. This is not something to panic about. And he goes on to say this to them. So that's what's happening to them. Now here's what, this is now talking to you as believers. But you, verse 17, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saying, I, I told you, this is gonna happen. We don't have to panic. Then the last time that there will be scoffers following their own godly passions. And listen to this, verse 19. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. What do we hear over and over and over and over again right now? Our country is so divided. We're more divided than we've ever been. And you feel it, don't you? That there's just division and division. And he's saying that that's true. There is division. And the people that are causing it are people who are devoid of the spirit. But you, and this is, we're going to hang it all on this. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He says, there's two different things he's talking about here, building yourself up and praying in the Spirit. Now there is no comma between the two, and it's funny, this week we happened to have a little, a little borderline comma church split happen um, uh, on Facebook, of course. <laughs> when Jana says, what's, what's the problem with everybody with an Oxford comma? And of course, I'm Googling Oxford comma. Um, but the point is, is that a comma can be very important in a, in a sentence, right? A comma separates this from this as separate things, and then apparently the Oxford one is the waste of time. This is what Mo says. Um, but we have literally, we've prayed, and the Lord has united us uh, away from our commas. It was appropriate, because as that flashed up uh, on my page, I was like, I was in the middle of saying, okay, he's saying to build yourselves up uh, in your most holy faith and praying in the spirit. And means there's something, there's two things there. Now, I think that there are two things in the same way that bacon and eggs are two things. They're separate. You can enjoy bacon. You can enjoy eggs. But together, it's different than an omelet with ham because that means it's inside. It becomes part of the same thing. These are separate that complement each other. Fish and chips. I love some chips. I love some fried fish. Pretty much, you batter and fry anything, and I'll eat it. <laughs> sorry, Tammy. <laughs> I'm sorry. We sat on uh, the river in London on our layover and had a monster fish and chips, you know, and I, literally, it wrestled my colon to the ground. Like, it was like, <laughs> I'm about to get on a long flight. <laughs> this is not going to go well. But man, it was amazing. <laughs> they go together. So what I'm saying is that 
building yourself up and praying in the spirit are two sides of the same coin. There's two separate things that actually go together. If you grew up in Iowa or Nebraska, you had chili at school, you also had cinnamon rolls. And the rest of the world was like, see, you know, <laughs> preach it. That's good preaching. The rest of the world was like, that is crazy. But I'm telling you what, every Thursday in Superior, Nebraska, elementary school with the hot lunch was a, a cinnamon roll and a, and a bowl of chili. <laughs> Adrian's looking at me like I'm from Neptune, <laughs> but it's true. Like, <laughs> they go together, building yourselves up. And while I'm talking about that, go to the book of Romans chapter eight, because I want to show you how I think these things are mutually exclusive and hopelessly intertwined. Hopefully intertwined. When I say praying in the spirit, I want to start with this. Some of you who've come from a Pentecostal background, me included, hear praying in the spirit and it means something very specific to you. It means praying in tongues. Paul said, I'm, I'm proud, I pray in tongues more than all of you. There, there's, a, a, there's a Pentecostal application of the phrase praying in the spirit. Ephesians 6 talks about praying in the spirit. But I think that if we stop at that, it actually stops short of a much more pregnant meaning that he is saying in Romans 8. And by the way, when you think about praying in the spirit, that's not the chapter you thought I was gonna to turn to, was it? Me either. But when I started reading this, I'm like, oh, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about building yourself up and praying in the spirit inside of the same chapter. And when you read it now, I think you'll see it. Because he talks about that those who are led by the Spirit in verse 14 become the sons of God, they're children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And it's what we just sang because it's true. But it brought about your adoption to sonship. And he goes on to say that by him, this is the end of verse 15, and by him, by Jesus, we cry, Abba, Father. Now that word in Aramaic, if you've been around the Bible at all, like I know Bud has been, and he probably knows that that means daddy in Aramaic. It's like a child speaking to his father in a way that a, like an Ethan would. Actually, I love it. Some of my, my daughters sometimes still call me daddy at 16, 17 years old, and it just, doesn't it just hit you in a, a part of your heart? And, uh, th then they're usually about to ask for something, so <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but look, I'll take it. Well played, you know, um. But I heard Tim Keller say this a while back and I've never forgotten it. And so if you, if you don't like it, you can email him. But he said that that word Abba is actually much more primal than that. Because it's not just daddy, okay? Even at the age of eight, nine, 10 years old, you know how to work your parents. By then, if I'm asking my parents for something at that age, I knew how to, I was, if I was trying to get something, and I'd work it, I was, I was becoming old enough to try to work it as a child. Now, none, I know none of you kids, Ethan, you would never do that, nobody in here would do that, but if those others that do that at that age, he's saying that it was more in the line of mama, papa, mima, dada, mama, a, a baby. That's the word. And by him we cry, because at that age, at that baby age, I'm not, I'm not jockeying for anything except I want to be close to my father or my mother, my parent. By him we cry, dada and papa. And it's a very pregnant, no pun intended, pregnant statement 
By him we cry, Abba, Father. He goes on now, um, just for the sake of time, let's go down to verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It's talking about entropy, about decay. If you are, I'm 46 years old, and I got news for anybody in this room. You are all dying. (laughs) 10 out of 10 dentists surveyed. All die. We're all dying. We're all decaying. The world itself is decaying. And it's not natural. And part of the redemption of the resurrection, the day that the revolution began, was a, a, a moment of rescue of the entire creation. But until then, he says, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only creation, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but that hope, hope that is seen is not hope at all, who hopes for what you have already. In other words, if you've already got it, I'm not hoping for it, I already have it. So he's saying we don't have it, we're hoping for it, we're waiting for it. We wait patiently in verse 26, and in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Creation, Christians, and the spirit, all three groaning. By the way, the original Greek for groan is groan. (laughs) That's not a trick question. It's speaking of an actual groan. When we watch The Lion King, the circle of life, right? The, the antelope eats the grass and the lion eats the antelope and then becomes grass again in the circle. And it's this beautiful Elton John song. Until you're in Africa and you see a pile of bones, you're like, oh, that's, that's sad. <laughs> like, that's not good. When you see what's happening in, in our world today with earthquakes and with the creation is groaning right now. It has been groaning as a, a woman in childbirth. But not just creation, but Christians are groaning. I had this idea for the longest time in my Christian walk that once I became a Christian, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, some of you might laugh at me, but that once I became a Christian, that there would be a floor from which the suffering that the rest of the world would be subjected to that I would not be subjected to because I'm now a Christian. So now that won't ever happen to me. Boy, what a crock that was. I, it sounded good on paper. But you know, in Haiti, Christians died right next to non-Christians. In Sierra Leone this week, Christians died next to non-Christians. The idea that I was gonna be taken away and out of this was not something that he promised. And I'm gonna tell you why in a minute. But it says that we groan because in our life, we could pretend that this wicked stuff doesn't exist and you know, unfollow everything and not look at it, and then, but that's actually not even truthful. That's just pretending that it doesn't exist. That's an ostrich head in the sand. That's not what he suggests from us. Romans 8 is the most realistic look at the body of Christ and our walk with God, almost in any other chapter in the, 
in the, in the Bible, but for sure more than any other thing on earth. Romans 8 is telling us this is true. It's going to be a moment of groaning in your life. There's going to be things that, are gro- that make you, because he talks about Christians groaning. This week, did you at some point on the news, on the radio, did you at some point on your Facebook page look at something and then do something like this, go, I don't know what to do. We groan. And I believe that we're groaning in a way that is Holy Spirit inspired. That that is the Spirit coming out of us because not just us, but the Spirit is groaning right alongside of us because God knows that this wasn't how it was meant to be. And he's coming back to set it right, but in the meantime, the Spirit groans for us in words that can't even be uttered. And I take such hope from that because the prayers that I pray sometimes are more like a consumer thing. God give me this, God bless that, God. That's the prayer that I'm praying when in reality the spirit-led prayer is thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Sometimes the kingdom-led prayer is just an acknowledgement that I am powerless in the face of this. My friends in the recovery community know that the first step is to admit that you are powerless and that only with God intervention can you overcome this. The only difference between us and those that have gone through a 12-step program is the rest of us are fooling ourselves. We think we have power over this. But Abba Father is a prayer, it's a cry. By the way, that word cry is the same word that Peter, when he cried out from the water to rescue Jesus, it is a cry to our Father. And I think that it's an acknowledgement of the spirit moving in our lives that we actually are seeing what's happening and that we are crying out to God to intervene, to make it into who we are. And the, the beautiful picture of this in, in the last few minutes we have is that he talks about as a child in childbirth, groaning as a child, as a mother in childbirth. And it's such a beautiful picture because I've been on the business end of four babies being born. And if you're the baby, I don't know who our freshest one is here today. We got a lot of fresh babies in here, but the baby at one minute is literally minding his or her own business in a sack of amniotic fluid, warm and comfortable, protected, and then out of nowhere, (laughs) the world was that. (laughs) And then there's the moment of, my head won't fit through that, I swear, it's not gonna work, I can't. And, and then it just goes downhill. This baby hanging out completely comfortable is suddenly upside down, butt naked. Someone's slapping it on the back. It's freezing cold. But again, having been on the business end of four of these, here's what I know. When Maddie was born, they were, we were sitting there watching the Regis and Kathy Lee. That's how long ago that was. <laughs> And they come in to check Shannon, which is kind of weird, and, but they're checking her, and, and all of a sudden, they're like, oh, oh, wow, this baby's coming. And the room filled up with people. And every eye in that room, all the attention of everyone in that room had one thing in mind and one thing only, and it was that they would work this out for the baby's best interests. They were trying to get the baby the best life possible. And what that feels like to the baby is a bunch of blood. It's cold. Why do they keep slapping me? I'm freezing. You just slap me around like a carp. 
just flopping around. You remember the first time you had a baby? You're like, these are so delicate. And you watch the doctor, they're literally just flopping around like they're about to, you know, like a fish at the market. And he is doing everything. She is doing everything for the best interest of that baby. And so at this chapter goes on, it goes on in verses 27, 28, 29 to say that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things, creation groaning, you groaning, the spirit groaning is all working together like a hospital room giving birth to a baby. All eyes on the baby, all eyes are on you. And what is the birth that it's talking about? It was on verse 30, I think, to talk about that you would be created into the image, you're formed into the image of Christ. So the all things working together for the good of those who love him is not, hey, my car got stolen, I get a better car. It's not, I lost this job, well, now I got a better job. And it can't be because that's happened to all of us. We've lost a job and we maybe didn't get a better job. What it is, on the other hand, is lost the job made into the image of Christ. This didn't work. I got sick, and this is enemies, fallen world, Genesis 3, creation groaning, making me into the image of Christ. Building you up. Boy, we sure don't have time to talk about praying in the Spirit, but we'll do that next week. Building you up isn't just about roses and the things that have happened in your life, even as a child, the things that tore you up, the things that you recognizing what that is. What did Paul say? Forgetting those things that are behind me. The word forgetting means not doing away with. He's dealing with them. What pray tell was Paul talking about in Philippians 3? Paul murdered people. Paul murdered Christians. He stood by while Stephen was being stoned. Do you think there might not have been some PTSD in his life? And I love the picture of Paul because in Acts chapter nine, he gets saved and he goes right to Jerusalem and he's gonna make it happen right now. And they beat the snot out of him and drove him out of town. He tried again, they beat him up, sent him out of town until the church finally said, dude, you need to deal with your issues. And he disappeared for three years off of the record. And who knows what he did during those three years? We don't know for sure, but what we do know is a different Paul came back than left. I think that he dealt with the stuff and the guilt and the shame, the toxic shame that he would have felt so that he could finally say that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And for you and for I, that's a process and that's a journey. And Jesus who wants so much to invite you into that journey of freedom, self-awareness, Self-awareness is one of the most painful and freeing things. It's one of the greatest gifts you could ever be given. There was a survey done last year of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. There was one trait that was in more of them than any other trait. The one trait that they, this was a a Fortune magazine survey. They said this one trait was what caused, that you'd seen all these Fortune 500 guys, and that one trait was self-awareness. And it's not a self-awareness of shame. It's literally, oh, this is why. You know, an awareness that I experienced this past year was, maybe it's two years ago now, was when I first went to Haiti and we were trying to help these little boys and these little girls and there's this guy in town, I don't know if anybody knows who Chip Dodd is. Uh, That's a crazy ride if you go hang out with Chip for any length of time. Chip told me, he looked me in the eye and said, man, when you went to save these children, 
you were trying to save yourself. And he took back to, hey, there's this moment where you realize in your childhood that you were on your own. And if, it, if you didn't get it done, it wouldn't get done. And you, So you literally, you're just trying to s- save yourself. What if you could save orphans and already be saved and not have to do it out of a dysfunction, but out of a Holy Spirit function? And that was a boom, mind-blown moment for me. And I'm here to tell you today that God wants us to go do these things, but not to get healthy, but from healthy, from being built up. Because let me tell you, if you've got a hole in your heart and you go to India to try to fill it, you know what you have in India? A hole. A different culture. That's just geography. But God can fill that up inside of you. And it starts with you building yourself up and praying in the Spirit. And the prayer that I want us to pray, and that we have no time left, the prayer that we're going to pray this week is literally a prayer of Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come. Not a prayer of God give me this and God give me that, but a prayer that just says, Lord, I want to be built up in this culture so that I'm not running around because of my my unhealth and dysfunction to, to try to, you know. Save the world. Stand with me and we're going we're gonna to pray. But I, I want to encourage you this week in the few minutes that we have that, that this is a journey and that prayer, the spirit prayer, praying in the spirit is not a consumer prayer. It's a refiner's fire. It's a change me, Lord, mold me. It's a teach me. It's a make me aware. It's a, and here's the great news. He is patient. He is kind. It's not going to happen overnight. But you starting down this journey is a journey of you doing what Jude says, which is keeping yourself in the love of God. Because what the world wants to do is keep you in the shame of what you've done. And he wants to move you into the grace and the love of God. And that's where he wants to keep you. I hope that this is enough for you to begin a journey of praying in the spirit of groaning at those times and crying out to father, to daddy, to dad, that I can't do this without you. Let's pray. Jesus, our father, our dad, daddy, we give ourselves to you today. And Lord, would you, some of us, we just need the awareness of this, these things that we've gone through that faith is just trusting that you're there, that you've got it under control, that you've figured it out. And Lord, I know that you love us just the way we are and you love us too much to let us stay that way. And so today, Lord, may all of us take one more step, a step towards building ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the spirit, praying that all those things are now being worked together like a child in childbirth and we are holding on to hope that all these things are working together to put us into the image of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.